the comment she might made was I'm very quiet um, off the pitch, but on the pitch I kind of turn into a different person, and <laughs> I'd probably say I'm still the same now. Um, but yes, I would probably tackle my granny because I don't have friends on the pitch. Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast, The Bold Tackle. We are your hosts, Sophie Howard and Oliver Howard, and we are ready to tackle bold topics in sport, highlight the women's football industry, and speak about the unspoken. If you are ready to get an insight into what really goes on behind the scenes, join us on our journey and listen in to The Bold Tackle. Welcome everyone to the first episode of The Bold Tackle. My name is Oliver Howard and I'm going to be hosting this podcast together with my sister... Sophie Howard! Hi Sophie, lovely to have you here. It's going to be really interesting. So before we start, there's going to be um, many of the listeners, um, however many it may be at the beginning, that don't know us yet. So maybe talk about you a little bit. Um, Who are you and uh, where are you now in your life? Um, As I said, Sophie Howard, um, currently at Leicester City Football Club. Um, Let's go back a couple of years, or actually a couple of many years. Um, Our mum, I was just going to say my mum, but our mum's Scottish, our dad is English. It's mine too, thank you. (laughs) But funnily enough, (laughs) we grew up in Germany, and that's where I started playing football. Actually, ironically, because of you. Um, And here we are, you're the professional and I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> not the professional footballer professional in different ways Ollie um yeah can't believe it but when I was younger I idolized you for everything you did so that's why I started playing football um from a young age was always on the football pitch just dragged around uh, we all supported one another and then I started playing with boys for many years because um, when I was growing up there wasn't a girls team locally uh, until I made the big move to Hoffenheim um, the now professional club let, um, when I was 15 years old. Let me just jump in there because I think that's a very interesting point you mentioned and maybe you can tell me if it's different nowadays. So when you were younger, it was pretty usual for uh, young girls to play in boys' team because there was not enough girls playing football. Uh, it seems to have changed that the um, the the women's football has grown pretty much over the last couple of years looking at the world championship the european championship over the last couple of years uh, looking at the premiership um what's it nowadays with young girls do they also still play in the men's football is it um or the boys football or has the had the women's game evolved enough so that they can learn enough in the girls teams um f- first of all i think it's always very difficult to say men's and women's football in the end we play football um, but yes, there weren't enough or weren't hardly any only girls teams uh, in the local clubs when I was growing up. That is definitely different now. Um, many clubs, many local clubs even have girls set ups, uh, which is crucial for the development of girls. Because I remember um, when I was playing with the boys, you often do get comments and looks. And I feel like a lot of younger girls would get discouraged by that. Um, obviously the question you brought up about the quality of coaching and I definitely agree that often it's the dad's coaching yeah. um, and that is something I think we, we still have to tackle and have to improve on as a whole football community however to make football accessible for young 
girls is the first step and is a crucial step to make the grey game grow even further. I think time will, uh, during time, it will evolve and there'll be even more interest, probably also a little bit more money behind it. I know a lot of the men's or boys' coaches also don't earn money, but the interest is there because my son's playing football and the amount of boys playing football is probably still just higher and that's why the interest maybe in in, uh, men's coaches or boys' coaches is just a little higher, but time will probably improve that. At least I hope so because I think the involvement that we have seen over the last couple of years um, everyone's profiting from it and you can see the audience men and women uh, they're really enjoying the women's football world but maybe jumping back a, a little bit again um, you spent most of your time in boys team if I remember correctly and I, I think you only really started to playing in full women's teams at Hoffenheim but do you think playing in boys teams um, even if you were looked at weirdly at at some stages profited you because your game is a pretty hard and full-on game um which i feel benefit you benefited from a lot in your career do you think that helped i would say yes um i think you you mentioned the way i play and my style is very physical um very yeah i i go through players as well um and that is something i had to learn in when i was playing with boys um i had to be that extra bit physical to to be able to compete um and sometimes it was also to put uh my stamp on it to show them i'm here not just for a jolly up i'm here to compete Um, and you need to work hard to get past me yeah exactly and i think um some as i said some girls got discouraged maybe um looks and comments just comments just motivated me more to to prove the boys wrong i guess yeah very very interesting i always remember reading this article about you being i think it was um in the in the scotland national team um where it came from the sideline correct me if i'm wrong it was one of your coaches who said she'd even tackle her granny um i think it's a, a bit of a hard comment but on the other hand, it, it describes your your game. You go for it. You want to win. And they have to work hard and they really want to get past you. Um, and I think that's a nice part of the game. Yeah, I think um, it was, I can I can drop the name, it was Joe Love from the Scottish National shout Team. Shout out to uh, you. Just before the Euros in. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Joe Love. Um, it was just before the Euros in 2017 and I was kind of newly inter- introduced to the squad and she had to kind of give an insight into each player. And the comment she might, made was, I'm very quiet um, off the pitch, but on the pitch I kind of turned into a different person. And <laughs> I'd probably say I'm still the same now. Um, but yes, I would probably tackle my granny because I don't have friends on the pitch <laughs> and that's just who I am <laughs> when I get onto the pitch. Um, it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter who's in front of me um, I want to win the ball and I want to win the game and that's just kind of who I am and that's what's worked for me so far So going back to Hofmeim you were one of the first girls that Hofmeim actually got into this corporation setup where they got you from your home team and you actually stayed with the family in Hofmeim how did that change for you and you as a person because um, you left home pretty early and you had to grow up pretty quickly yeah, you're right. I left when I was 15, um, turned 16 a couple of months later, and I lived with a host family for the first year. Um, that was tough, I'm not going to lie. Um, I always say when people ask me about it, I don't know if I could do that with my kids. Um, let them go, 
I let them leave home. But then that again, early. it was your decision, right? You wanted to yeah, do 100%. it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Mum and dad, yeah, one hundred percent. Mum and dad never made me do anything or forced me to do anything. It was my decision, and I wanted to go for it. And I think that's the first time I really noticed that I was going to give this whole professional football a go and give it my all. And that meant leaving home. I mean, they gave us the option of dad driving back and forth, which was about 150 kilometres each way. Um, but that was just not feasible. Um, being picked up straight from school, driving down, training back, getting back late at night. That It was just not doable. And also I wouldn't have had a life. I would have lived in the car and I decided to to move down to Hoffenheim, stay with a host family, and and as hard as the host family uh, uh, living might have been, I think uh, sitting in the car for most of the time would have also had its toll on your mental health because uh, you don't want to spend time in the car all the time. You want to play football, but you also want to see friends. And to do that, you need to be pretty close to the club. Um, otherwise, it just gets very, very hard. I remember talking to a lot of uh, the girls because we then lived together at one stage when I went to university. And when you talk to the girls and they had a two-hour ride to training and two hours back I mean very committed but many of them didn't make the stage that you did yeah um, as, as you just mentioned after that first year with the host family you moved down uh, towards Hoffenheim when you went to uni and we decided to live together um, some two two mad years I guess but um, hard years <laughs> <laughs> mad and hard years <laughs> um but yeah, the girls that were there were, were more your age than my age, so you really got on with them as well, so that's where all these conversations started. But yeah, I think the hard thing then was the pay wasn't the same, um, the acknowledgement wasn't the same, and the security off the pitch wasn't the same. So for these girls to, to travel two hours each way every day was hard, and they probably got to a point where they had to make a decision um, to get, I call it, I used to call it a real job. Mm. Now football for me is a real job, but they had to get a, a job in the corporate world. Um, or do I continue this football journey that no one knew where it was going to go? I, I remember those conversations uh, as well, where we were talking to them and they were studying by the side and some of them were working in, in insurance companies and so on, because it was more like pocket money. You were earning. Uh, also, you weren't in the first league at that stage. It was still a regional league, which which was a third league, um, and you were Hoffman was still on the way up. But um, it's very true that there was a lot of commitment behind it for very little money, and you wouldn't see that in men's team that were earning the same amount as you and driving to training for two hours and two hours back. But then again, it shows how committed you were in the long run. Because it's only been the last couple of years that you could really live off of football. Yeah, and I think that is what really defines the women's game. And I think people forget what, the I call it the previous generation, uh, but maybe it's just the older players, what we had to sacrifice and kind of learn to juggle to make it all work. Uh, I remember times where I went to uni, I had a different job and I played football. And nowadays uh, we can solely focus on football. Um, and I think what I think is important for us is to never forget where we came from and never forget why we started playing football because none of us that are professional now started because of the money 
or started because it was a profession. And many of the times uh, you see that in a lot of psychological studies, as soon as you get paid, you lose interest because you do something to be paid instead of to do something you love and be paid. Um, and it's uh, very true what you say. You still have to love the game because only then you'll see development in the industry and you as a person. 100%. I think financially we're moving in the direct or the right direction. But I think that's also a topic we want to discuss and cover in a, in a following episode. But as much as we're moving in the right direction, I think it's crucial that we never forget, as I just said, where we came from. Because we started, or, or I can speak for myself, I started because I fell in love with the game. And that has kept me going through all the tough times. Um, money was never a motivator for me. You were half and behind for how many years? A total of six years, which was interrupted by a spell of three years in America. That was a, a very interesting move because America at that time was one of the top places to be for women's football. But you didn't actually play professional football. You went to university. So why did you do that? Why was it so important to get your university degree, even though you were all out in football? Because in men's, I would say 90%, even 99% of the time, they have this goal football. And if they don't make it, they have a problem. Um, so why did you do it even at a stage that you committed still so much to football, but at the same time got your safety net? I think there's two, two factors to that. Um, first of all, at that stage, there was no real security for female football players. And I knew I wanted to pursue a degree, a university degree to fall back onto. Um, I've now extended it to a master's degree, um, which I got with my second spell at Hoffenheim. Um, but the second factor was also for me to challenge myself um, academically. Um, I get quite, I guess, fidgety if my brain's not working. Um, and I needed it as a balance. And when the opportunity and the offer came up that I could go to America... And obviously, the the factor of exploring America as yeah the dream, uh, the sorry the country where dreams come true, uh, was very tempting. Um, so that's when I made the decision. We then were in the second Bundesliga with Hoffenheim. We'd managed to get um, promoted, but then it was for me a decision to look for another challenge elsewhere. By that time, I'd lived away from home for three years. Um, and I was ready to, I guess, move further away from home. But yeah, it was partially looking for a new challenge um, to challenge myself uh, football-wise, but also in a in a sense of uh, personality and and person. Um, and it was kind of the temptation of moving to America. How different was the style of play in the US to Germany at that point? Um, I think if you compared them now, you'd say that America has developed massively. Te technically and tactically, which many years ago when I went to America was not the case. Um, there was a big emphasis on on the physical conditions. Yeah, um, as much as we had coaches that, yeah, also focused on, like, the technical ability, everything was very physical. Um, so the challenge there was we weren't really set up tactically so you had to solve problems by yourself as a team which massively helped my game in terms of reading the game solving issues there and then and not relying on on the information given from the sideline you talked about going to the country of your dreams you only stayed there. i think you finished your 
degree in more or less record time and went straight back to Germany. Why didn't you stay in the US to pursue your dreams there? Was it not the better league to be in for that at that moment? Potentially. Um, I was in touch with, with a coach I knew from having having been coached by him in the, in the summer league um, to move to New York. But for me, it was I was ready to move closer to home mm. again. And I was ready to move back to Europe. I missed the Euro- European lifestyle and the re- European football. And um, that was the main decision for me wanting to move back. It goes to show again how important your mental health is in pursuing any kind of dream. If you don't feel happy, uh, I don't know if it's wanted, uh, calm, content, uh, I, I think it's very hard to go for your dreams because you're fighting with yourself more than anything else. Yes, I'd agree. Um, as I mentioned, the family aspect was was a big one. Um, and I also felt like I had unfinished business in Hoffenheim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I left when we were in the second Bundesliga and um, I wanted to return to play in the Bundesliga. And um, it shows again how important it is to never burn bridges because I left uh, on good terms when I left Hoffenheim. So I just got back in touch with them. At that time, I didn't have an agent, so I sorted it myself. And a few phone calls and, and email exchanges later, I was back in Hoffenheim after three years. But then you moved into the first uh, Bundesliga, didn't you? They, they'd been promoted since. Yeah, I think a year or two before that, um, they got promoted. So that was that was a motivator as well to move back to Hoffenheim, a, a club I really felt at home. I wouldn't talk too much about that stage because you you made a lot of games there. You stayed in the league, but it was the very beginning of Hoffenheim. First couple of years that Hoffenheim was in the, in the first Bundesliga, and they were like a mid-table, also fighting uh, against the bottom. But you then decided to go to the UK and you moved to Reading. Why not stay in the Bundesliga? Because they were the uprising stars at that point. Why did you go to the UK? I think when I moved back to Hoffenheim, I would say that the Bundesliga was one of the strongest leagues. Um, and as you said, um, Hoffenheim had just been newly promoting it. And it was a project to kind of climb up the table with every year. And um, Which they've the, managed until this day today. They, they're all the way up top now. Yeah, definitely. I think they came, if I'm right, they came fourth or fifth um, this this previous season. So very good. And they managed to qualify for the Champions League the, the years before. Um and I had really good three years at Hoffenheim. Um, I got many games. Um, like I, I really did feel at home. As I said, I, I also got my master's degree while I was there for the second spell, and I kind of had set up my life there. I then got. You still to, go back today? Yeah, I still have have friends there, and and it does feel a little bit like uh, a home because um, I moved there when I was so young, and I kind of built up my my network um, when I was there. Um, but it just felt like I needed a new challenge again to grow. One of one of the things I I do try and avoid is um, just being content and, and almost stagnating. And I needed a new challenge. I was looking for something to give me a new new impulse. That's when when the opportunity with with Reading came about. Um, it was actually my then national team coach um, Shelley Kerr that. That got in touch with me, let me know that Reading was looking for someone in my position and we had a few conversations while I was on camp that I was looking for a new challenge uh, to develop my game and, and as a person again and that's how that came about. 
And from going to being at university and playing first Bundesliga, you went to full-time professional then, didn't you? Yeah, I think that was the f- when I moved to the UK, that was the first time I could actually fully focus and solely focus on football. Um, I still found ways to, I guess, challenge my, my brain um, and, and continue with kind of my coaching path that I had started at Hoffenheim. Uh, but from a solely football perspective, it was the first time I could fully focus. And how do you find that you managed to develop at Reading? Was was the game a different one? And uh, was it different for you to be professional and only play football? Um, I think my mindset had never changed. Um, even before I could solely, solely focus on football, my mindset was always give it your all. Um, I just think I had more time. Um, I had a full day to myself that I never used to have. Um, I think in terms of comparison of game, the game in England, I'd say, is quicker than, than it is in Germany or than it was in Germany because I've been away for so many years. I can't actually say how it is now. Um, Reading was a tough spell for me. I, I got injured. I was out for a long time. Um, I tore my hamstring quite severely, which constantly retore. Um, and a three-month injury turned into a five, six-month injury, which which was a first big challenge in, in a sense of my first big injury. And away from home and... I hadn't really quite set up my network yet and, and it was quite difficult. Um, and I have to Talk say... Talk about mental mental health, mental toughness again. Yeah, I think that's the first time I got challenged in that aspect. I said I, I was looking for a challenge and I did get, get challenged. Be careful what you ask for, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think I, I quite... As you know, I'm quite an honest person and I think I'd lie if I said I enjoyed my time at Reading because it, it was hard for me and I never really had the feeling that I felt at home and I could identify with the club. Um, I'm I'm quite open about it and um, I was then, after two years, really looking for a move somewhere where I'd, I'd unfortunately fallen out of love with the game um, at Reading and that is not due to any individual uh, I play a role in that because I put a lot of pressure on myself um, that I tend to do um, but I was I had to move out I had to fall back in love with the game because I said to you earlier that's the reason why I started football and I always say the moment I stop enjoying uh, the game and, and playing then that's when I'm going to finish my career unfortunately that hasn't happened yet and then we're then we're really happy that you did make that move to to stay happy in the game. Um, you always talk about making that next step, uh, and uh, you took the next step going to Leicester. Although from the outside it might have looked like a downgrade because you went from the the first league into the second into a project, which it then was. Um, why Leicester? Because you had offers from from Scottish first leagues as well, didn't you? Yeah, at that point um, there were a couple of. Teams interested, um, a team in France, obviously in Scotland, um, Leicester as well. Um, the reason I went to Leicester is, before I went to Reading, um, and I always say you learn from your mistakes, I hadn't done my research. I trusted um, an individual's opinion, um, and I hadn't rang people about the club, and I hadn't rang to see if I fit in. And it was quite obvious that I didn't fit in. So this time I rang so many people that um, I knew that were also interested in Leicester, people that had other ties to the club on the men's side. 
and I really, really, yeah, um, used my resources, I guess, and um, it turned out to be the best move. Um, now, fast forwarding a couple of years, I, I feel at home here. Um, we had a mad season, um, which you know, and most listeners will know, um, but this is the place where, I'm to, where I want to be at the moment. And you made it. Uh, I, I'd really love to talk uh, about your season in Leicester in one of the next episodes. Uh, one point I would like to highlight before we end this podcast is, uh, and you've you've mentioned it a couple of times, is um, agents within football, agents especially within women's football. Um, I, I I would like to make the point that this is also a part of the women's game. Uh, I know you said we should talk about football, but especially the women game, women's game, which really needs to be improved. And I think we should also discuss in one of the next episodes. I agree. I think it's definitely an area. Um, I think to say that needs to be exposed is a bit harsh, but that needs to be discussed, addressed, and as you said, improved. And we can do that here at the dinner table. So, so thank you very much for giving us these first couple of minutes of insight of who you are. Uh, I'm really looking forward, to, as I said before, to to go through this journey with you to talk about all the different topics within football and uh, the sports world. Uh, thank you very much for everyone else listening in, and hope to see you next time. See you soon, everyone. <laughs>